Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I looked at social media as something that everyone was almost at level playing field, right? Mm -hmm. Like you only had to know a little bit more than the next person. And we women, you know, imposter syndrome, or especially if you're, you're young, you're going to say, well, I just, I'm not qualified. Who am I to give advice and charge for the advice? And I might've felt that way about getting into, um, you know, traditional like PR or news or media or radio but social was brand new and it was okay to say, well, I mean, I know a little bit more than the next person and we can all figure this out together. Hello and welcome to Financials Podcast Futurish. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and um, I'm a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I'm here today with my expert guest, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi, Barb. How are you today? Good. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. So for all my lovely listeners, you know, I like to bring you expert guests to talk about various areas where they're experts, whether that's a personal finance area, but I also like to highlight various businesses that you can get in for inspiration because we talk a lot about side hustles and one way to improve your earnings is sometimes switching careers, switching jobs, or, you know, a side hustle. So Emily is the owner of Hey There Media. So Emily, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your company? Sure. Thanks so much, Barb. So my company, Hey There Social Media, is a business I started back in 2009. It was a way for me to freelance my way out of corporate America. So I I had a short stint, you know, 20-something Emily in corporate America working in a sales role. And when I was in that job, it was the first time I was around women that I could see have their baby, have their six weeks maternity time, come back now carrying an extra diaper bag with their laptop bag and rinse and repeat for each child that they had. It, it seemed a little bit cumbersome to fit in that mold. So it was, it was really my kick in the pants to get out and figure out something that I could do for myself so I wouldn't have to do that. And you gave me an interesting stat before we started talking, which is 86% of women become mothers. Yeah, I think that that stat really sits with me in a number of ways. I, I am a mom. I always knew I wanted to be a mom, but you know, we don't have crystal balls of what happens. But when we stop and say, okay, so how many people actually have other humans in their life that they need to take care of? So if Pew Research tells us 86% of women by the time they're done with their childbearing years have given birth, have become mothers, then that's that's a, over half the percent of the female population. And then I looked further at that and thought, well, that's not something that's going to change. Um, maybe it, it'll go up a little, maybe go down a little. Trends are showing us that even more highly educated women are starting to become mothers. But it's just biology. <laughs> it's not going to change regardless of the economy or the job market. Women will still become mothers. And so figuring out a way to be your best professional self and a mother is not, is not a short-term problem. 
No, definitely not. Because I think you you bring up valid points that I've, I've seen friends of mine and I've heard it can be a lot to balance your career and then being a mother or wanting to become a mother. Because I hear both sides of it. Some people who are nervous about whether they'll be able to maintain the career pace that they're at if they want to become a mother. They don't even see how they could swing everything. Um, I've heard heard that before too, like even anticipating, like I know I want to have a family at some some point, but like, I don't think that I can continue on this specific career trajectory because I don't think I could do the travel or the hours and then have time for anything else. And then I've seen the other side of it, like where you already, you know, you're like, maybe not thinking that far down, but you have a child and you're like, wait, this doesn't align now anymore. And also with COVID, a lot of people found out that they like to spend more time with their families. I think that was a big you know, eye-opening experience for people during COVID, being able to be home more during lockdown, and they enjoyed that. And so we came to what they're terming the great resignation. Yeah, it, you bring up a lot of points. One of the things that that resonates, I, I consider myself a, a type A woman. You know, I, I had high professional aspirations. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been a proactive, let's get ahead of things. And I appreciate that I imagine you know, your base of listeners probably falls in that category. You know, these are these are women that are willing to take action today to improve their future self tomorrow. So when I was working in a corporate role, again, I, I could see that that path would be perfectly viable for hitting certain achievement milestones. But again, you mentioned the the motherhood piece. I just looked at it very logically and thought, well, if I need to be able or want to be able to do things in my mother role, why should that be a problem with my professional self? So that was very, I've learned now in my late thirties here that that's a bit of a Pollyanna perspective um, because it, you really do have to almost in society today, choose like one or the other, you know, and that's not fair. And so we're, we're in this big shakeup right now. Um, You mentioned what the pandemic did. Um, of course, working from home wasn't just for women, that men got to be more involved in the home. So clearly, Barb, we could have a whole chat about what society has maybe gotten wrong and what the post-pandemic life is going to help us uh, get back on track and, and be right about going forward. But regardless of the outside world influences, I knew the way that I was going to take action for myself was to simply find a way to work for myself. And I had no entrepreneurial background. I didn't have any small business experience. So naturally working in sales and and marketing, social media came online around 2009, 2010 for the businesses that I was looking to help. So it was my chance. It was my chance to get out there and figure out how to charge for a service that I could figure out and bill on my own. Yeah. And that's scary, I think, because you were going in and having to ask them to pay you did you feel like you had an advantage? Like, were you really into social media before you left corporate America? Or, or like, how did you come up? How did you decide on social media? So I love that question. Because first of all, I, I looked at social media as something that everyone was almost at lang- level playing field, right? Mm-hmm. Like you only had to know a little bit more than the next person. And we women, you know, imposter syndrome, or especially if you're, you're young, you're going to say, well, I just, I'm not qualified. Who am I to give advice and charge for the advice? And I might've felt that way about getting into, um, you know, traditional like PR or news or media or radio. 
but social was brand new and it was okay to say, well, I mean, I know a little bit more than the next person and we can all figure this out together. So I will say that was my big timing was on my side. And as we've all learned, social media evolves so quickly that it's, you're not late to the game really at any point that you start social media. But I will acknowledge that, that that was, that was my confidence push of like, okay, well, you know, a little bit more than the next person, because I was genuinely interested in learning. And um, the next thing I, I would say that I did was just start to package services. Because you can, it doesn't matter if you're a photographer or a social media marketer, if you are talking to a prospect, and they want your help, but you can't tell them what your help looks like and what it costs, then they'll just feel like confused and you probably don't stand a chance in converting them into a paying client. So that would be my other advice is that whatever freelance service you want to go out and do and offer to be very clear what it looks like and then what to charge. I think that's great advice because as a business owner, it's always easier for me to make a commitment to something when I'm like, okay, this is what I'm getting. This is what it costs. And these are the gaps, like this is what they've identified they're going to be able to fix or help me with, like, even sometimes if I don't know that I have a problem, right, like to be able to identify, like, okay, you are missing XYZ, you didn't really know it, but we could also fix that too. We figured out that here's a gap that you don't, you're missing. Yeah. Otherwise, you both just leave the conversation with that prospect knowing you can help them, but not exactly knowing how or what the next step is. And so by being that expert saying to them, this this is the service and this is what it would cost, it just makes the process much more likely to close. Yeah, absolutely. And so take me through. So 2009, that was a while ago. So you've been doing this a long time, which is impressive because most small businesses don't make it. Is it three or five years? It's some tragic stat that small businesses don't make it that long. So you got your first client, you figured out how to close them, which is the hardest part, but you already had the sales experience. So take me through the journey. So from there till today, you've done a lot of things. Well, thanks, Barb. So like you said, figuring out what to offer, what to charge, and then where to scale my time. And so, um, you know, I, I say I built a boutique social media agency. So I'm, I'm here in Metro Detroit and the businesses that I were helping uh, fit in the small to medium sized category. And I knew that I was really good at identifying the problems and possibly coming up with a strategy to help them. And then I was able to have a team of other women uh, that were moms before I was a mom that worked flexibly from home uh, right in 2010 is when we started to come together as a team. And then, yeah, the, te- the 10 years really went by quickly. Um, I had my kids and we kept our client portfolio clipping along. Uh, We joke about that we were working from home before it was a thing. And (laughs) it was 2019. To to fast forward the story, it was 2019 that I really felt like, okay, I've figured out the agency model. You get more clients, you need more team members, rinse and repeat. And we decided to make a pivot to allow us to reach exponentially more women. And that was by essentially training our competitors. We started to train moms and that's what we do today. We train moms how to be social media managers so they can have their own freelance business. I think that's great because as our listeners know, I feel the same way. I can, it's a very similar thing. I think running a business is wonderful and just great experience, but at a certain point you can no longer accept clients. You would call it customers, you know, whatever term you use for them, because there's only so many hours in the day. You only have so many hours to 
to give. So you either need more team members to continue to grow, right? Or what you're we're talking about is maybe you just train the competition. You've you figured it out and now you can share the wealth with other people and help them start their own their own businesses. Because I think this, um, I think the great thing about a, starting a social media business, um, from my pers- my two cents is you can, as you said, you can do it remotely, you can do it from anywhere, you can have flexible hours, which is nice, which is attractive. And what is very rare in a small business is there is not a lot of startup cost. You've really hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, first of all, Barb, you know, when you talk about the components of, of having this as your business, we looked at, okay, so if corporate America might not work for all women, what about self-employment? And then um, mm-hmm. my colleague and I, we started exploring the top 27 self-employment opportunities. They weren't necessarily just for women, but we started to say, okay, so which of those are really viable? And as we broke them down and literally plotted them on a, a an axis, we noticed that many self-employment options require either a high startup cost, a lot of experience. Um, or a long lead time to be able to get in and make enough money to consider it viable. So um, that's where social media, um, being a social media manager, really we felt is is an ideal vehicle for many women that may have a background in marketing or that may be writers or worked in communications or simply consider themselves really creative and willing to learn something. So that's that's how we generally try to talk to women about thinking like, is this a viable path for me? Um, and to your point about it being flexible, there is a difference between working flexibly and having flexible work. And while social media never sleeps, it's something that you can merge in and merge out of based on the parameters of your, your client work. I, I Explain to me the difference between the two. I've never heard anyone say that before. Oh, really? Yeah, I won't claim credit to it. It's a lot of people started talking about this during the pandemic because Everyone thought that as long as I take my day job and can wear my jammies and do it at home in front of my laptop, then all of a sudden I have flexible work. No, at that moment you are working flexibly, but then the problem people had was I have no line between home and work. Yep. I work, I live at home, I work at home. Like it's, it was all blending together in a bad no way. Boundaries. There were no boundaries. No yeah. boundaries. And, and maybe it's because that that particular job or that industry or that team environment didn't lend itself to be truly flexible work. So people were working longer. They just happened to be working from home. So with, on the flip side, you know, truly flexible work, I define that as, yes, there are some things that might be in the moment time sensitive you need to deal with, but can you plan your work, like your content creation, you know, you're writing posts for clients. Can you do that in advance? Sure. Can you respond to comments, questions, DMs, after hours, of course. Can you do it from the car line, from your phone, or do you have to be locked to a five-screen, you know, database at home? No, you can totally do this from your phone. So I, I like to say it's it's truly flexible work. Now, what what do you think? For our listeners, we talk a lot about side hustles, and then some of our listeners are interested in a total career change. Do you think? one way is better than the other, like dipping your toe in, starting out, you know, on the side to see if you like it or going like full boat and diving into it. Sure. I see two different scenarios with some of the women that go through our program. Some of the women have a career gap, right? A resume gap. They've taken a career gap. 
mainly for childcare reasons. You know, they've, they've become a full-time caregiver in their home. And so a lot of women, particularly, you know, women that have already been in the professional work arena, they take that pause and then they need a way to re-enter the workforce. So we see that social media can be a way to focus on full-time, you know, in a short window, our training program in particular is a short window, and it gives you a way to get moving. So it can immediately close that resume gap. So that's one way to, if if you're already thinking of what's next and you have full-time freedom to consider options, you could dive in with both feet and make it your full-time focus. On the flip side, the side hustle method. So we've had some women that have full-time jobs and aren't even necessarily in a marketing role. Um, Social media is something that it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or a teacher or a lawyer. We've seen all the above. Social media can be done on the side. Um, especially because what you said, it's it's a less risky way to be able to test something out, get some experience under your belt, and also just see other ways that you could expand that social media role instead of just being a social media manager. So with your, you, men, you mentioned your program. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about your program and who you see go through it and and, and what it does exactly. Well, thanks, Barb. So as I said, I really looked at our program as shoving nine, 10 years of figuring it out on my own into six weeks. So um, we, we packaged the business, um, how to do this into a six week program. So nuts and bolts, six weeks, 13 modules, and the modules are taught live via Zoom. So it's generally myself. Um, I have some team members that chime in in certain topics throughout the, we call it core training. So your core training is the 13 modules over the six weeks. And we have, we've organized the program to be live classes happening at any time. So in other words, um, you don't have to wait for, you know, like the next month or the next enrollment. It's, It's open enrollment all the time because if you're going to do truly flexible work, shouldn't you be able to learn it flexibly as well? And uh, once you're done with core training, we do have a monthly membership component that gives the women the access to work together. Uh, We do professional development and we give our grads, we call them insiders. We call our, our, Hey, they're insiders access to prospects and aspects to leads because that can be a really scary part of starting your own business. Yeah. Finding, finding clients is usually the most intimidating part, especially when you're new, I think to something, right? Yes. Yeah. There's again, I I certainly don't want to pretend like I have all the answers, but doing this long enough and being in enough conversations with prospective clients, usually one of the first questions is love it. Like, can you show me something you've worked on? So we have portfolio work as part of our core training, um, because of course it's a win-win then, you know, the manager herself gets to actually get her, her feet wet and get working on some social client work. And then they have something at the end to be able to share with that prospect. Right. Oh, okay. I didn't think about that because in my world, they'd never be like, show me what you did for someone else because it's confidential. So, but that makes sense with social media that you would have to show something. Okay. That's kind of the fun part too, is that whether you you do a portfolio project for a business that you don't know, or you say, well, actually, you know, my family owns a restaurant or my neighbor down the street has a small business, or I'm going to do this for my, my child's elementary school. Their social media is, is a disaster. Um, you can really get to work on some of those opportunities and leverage it as your own portfolio. 
And then do you think it's important, like, do you talk about having a niche? Do you think you have to have a niche within social media? Or do you think just getting going, you can kind of figure out where your sweet spot is once you're in it? I would say getting going is is the best answer. The one divide we tend to make is going with B to C clients. So business to consumer, okay. or even people say D to C, direct to consumer. Now, um, in other words, doing social media for a business that wants to reach someone like you, not necessarily okay. B2B doing social media for a business that wants to reach, say, another business. Um, there are social media managers that cover all the above, but we have our experience in B to C. And now, because you know, we have to talk about money. So <laughs> how exactly do you get paid as a social media manager? Like, And how do you advise the people that go through your program to build their, their revenue. And like, what is that? What do you think the potential earnings are? Sure. So, okay, we'll, we'll break all this down. So first of all, I would say that with our work, with my experience, we have gone the route of monthly retainers. So, you know, when you talk, when freelancers, they'll talk about their hourly rate. Um, they might quote a project fee, or if they're doing something for like a three, six, nine, 12 month or beyond scope of work, they'll have a monthly retainer that, that they're charging. Okay. So we have found that to be the most optimal situation for the professional and for the client. There are so many books out there, value-based billing. I mean, like th- this is a whole term by this. Actually, there was a gentleman who came up with um, value-based billing because it's all about the value that is exchanged is what you're charging mm-hmm. for, not necessarily the time it took you to do something. So I, I don't yeah, want to go down that rabbit hole, but go ahead. No, well, <laughs> I want to touch on that because I read a quote and I don't know who it's attributed to, but it was like, I can do it in 10 minutes because I have 15 years experience. So I mm-hmm. shouldn't, you shouldn't only have to pay for 10 minutes because it took me 15 years to be able to do that task in 15 minutes or something along those lines. That sums that it up sense. perfectly. Why should we be penalized for doing what we do well, uh, f- mm-hmm. fast? I mean, really, why should you? And because it's not about the time. It's about the value that was exchanged. So that's why maybe going back to my earlier point of defining what it is you're going to do, mm-hmm. then the prospective client isn't going to necessarily say, well, how much time is that going to take you? It's, it's like a, it's a moot point. How much time is that going to take you? I need I, the value out of what you're bringing yeah. from this scope of work. So, so I would say um, that's fundamentally where we start. We advocate okay. for retainer-based billing. How do you come up with a retainer? How do you figure <laughs> out what to charge? So there's a couple of ways, a couple of factors we, we take into mind here. And first of all, there's a little bit of a time factor. And I just got done saying, not an hourly rate, but you, part of getting going is learning how long things take you. Um, and so when you see, let's say there's a, there's a small business out there that wants you to help them with just their Instagram and just their Facebook. So a two network okay. social media opportunity um, where you're going to be creating content and managing those platforms for that business you can say to yourself, I'm going to budget my time. And I'm going to say, you know, for those two, two platforms, it roughly take me, you know, like five hours a week, um, multiplying that by the four weeks in a month. So what are we at? 100 hours, we at 100 hours, 20 times 50. So 20 times five here. (laughs) Yes, 100 hours. So so if that's a 100 hours a month, I'm giving round numbers here, take 100 hours, and you could multiply it by $75 an hour. 
You can multiply it by 50, you can multiply it by 100. You could lowball and multiply it by 30, but just to get some sort of number. So 100 hours times $75 is a $750 a month retainer. So that's my quick way to say how you can at least start to come up with a monthly retainer. Yeah, and then as you get better or you get more comfortable, really, I think it's more about getting more comfortable. You could say it takes me X and I charge X and that's where you come up with it. Yeah. And again, this isn't a game of let's try to shave off more time so that I can do this work in the least amount of time possible. It's, it starts to just change based on, um, you know, what you get better at doing. And maybe you do save some time in the way that you do the work. But Mm -hmm. I would just say that that same scope of work that you used to charge, you know, like 750 a month for, you might find another way to infuse some value. And, And what I mean by infuse some value would be you get better at doing an Instagram reel. So you do an additional reel, but it doesn't take you that much more time. So you can charge a little bit more. So I know this gets very gray and murky. um, But as I said, getting going is the first place to be able to say, well, roughly how much time is this going to take me and how much can I charge? And at the end of the day, the worst that happens is you learn, you learn, right? You start on one client and you figure out that took me more time than I thought or less time and you can adjust from there. And then, so what do you see or what do you tell the women in the program their average earnings could be like, do you give them like a a band about where depending they could be if they did it full time? So again, I just did my, my rough bad math calculations of going with, you know, how many clients a month would you look to have? Um, to be able to give yourself, again, some of the women that go through our program want to work 10 hours a week, want to spend, you know, five to 10 hours, 20 hours. It it just depends on the person. Mm -hmm. So I would say that if you are doing social media freelance, you might not completely look at it as I have 40 hours a week of my time to use full time for you as a freelancer could be 30 hours. Mm -hmm. So when they ask, you know, how much can I look to make? I usually start to build a pie based on number of clients and size of clients. And at first, if your time and bandwidth allows for you to get experience with smaller clients, then with a couple smaller clients under your belt, you can look into more the medium size. And when I say medium size, the first thing that changes in the scope of work is what all are you doing for them? So, you know, I mentioned a couple of networks and posting some content and doing some community management. Well, if you are moving into a client that has more needs, like you're running their Facebook ads, you're running their Instagram ads, maybe you're writing a blog post or two for them. That's some more heavy lifting and that is some more content creation. And so that can immediately kick you into a medium category where your retainer goes up and then your pie of uh, clients, it it just shifts and your earnings shift. So you could kind of build it to whatever potentially you want it to be. You could. And and in the spirit of all things freelance, it it also can be um, a little less straightforward when you think of one-time projects. So if you've Mm -hmm. got your client base in social media, you have the opportunity to, you might do a speaking gig. You might do a social media coaching session. You might help a business just get their Facebook ads going. In other words, they are not long-term monthly retainer clients. So there's always, if your personal bandwidth allows, you can always infuse extra earning opportunities um, and project bases in that way. So um, I do appreciate it's a really hard question to answer. Well, how much can I possibly make a month? But if you were to even look at, uh, you know, a mixture of clients, we've, we've come out and said, 
anywhere between like, like gross revenue to be at 30 hours a week. Um, we had a number of like just over a hundred thousand gross revenue based on a mix of small, medium, and large clients with some ad hoc projects here or there. That's great. Gross revenue, 30 hours. Yes. Yeah. Gross revenue. And so, yeah, you have some costs, but as we talked about the cost for starting a social media company or agency is a lot less than a restaurant, a franchise, those sort of traditional businesses can require a lot of upfront costs. Yeah. Some other factors would be, where do you live? I mean, to be honest, there, there can be the same scope of work that is charged X in the Midwest and it's three X in the West or East coast. So that, that always depends. I, you know, I spend a lot of time with the women in our program and we do have these discussions of, we definitely want you to charge what you're worth. And I love that this whole movement of women, not just underselling themselves, but there is still something to be said about gaining the experience. So I know I led with out of the gate, you know, easy peasy, charge $75 an hour to come up with your monthly retainer. You might go lower, you know, you might go lower and you might think, well, this is a business that's going to refer me the next client, or Mm -hmm. maybe I'm even lower than 50 an hour, but it's for a short term. Or it's just what I need to get me into, you mentioned like a niche. Yeah, it's a bridge. So um, I spend a lot of time in my head, of course, thinking about all these things because I wish there was a straightforward answer. But there's also a lot of ways to look at, well, the flexibility that work-life integration provides you to be able to do this on your own may outweigh uh, a base salary of you doing this full-time at a company. Yeah, absolutely. And I think think with service, my opinion with service businesses is – better maybe to start a little lower and get a lot of experience and great referrals than start too high and struggle to kind of get it off the ground. At least that's my personal take. I'd rather go in a little lower than maybe I think I need to, to secure all those experience. And if you do a great job and you know, that will be a referral for another client or another customer playing, I like to call it playing the long game. If you know, this is what you want to do then sometimes you sacrifice a little in the short term for a better long-term payoff. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, Barb, because clearly you are you're the best sounding board for these sorts of decisions. So I think the program is great because I'm a big believer in doing some research and getting some support before, I like to call it like jumping off the high board. You know, if you're going to be quitting a job or deciding to go into something as a side hustle, I think doing the research and what not better to leverage somebody who already has research. So where can our listeners find information on the program? And, and you said you can enroll at any time and how much does it cost? Thanks, Barb. Sure. So our website is heytheresocialmedia.com and it's H-A-Y. So the program, we call it the Hey There Social Media Insiders Program, and it has a tuition of $2,997. So everything is spelled out on the website of what is included with your tuition, how you can break your tuition up over payments, um, and then our optional membership that comes after it. So you know we've really been mindful of what else is out there, and we've studied some of our grads to see, well, how quickly can you possibly earn back your, your tuition? So 
I, I always want to err on the conservative side and make sure that women don't ever feel like, okay, well, wait, sounds too good to be true. But we have had women that have started with a paid client before they've even finished the program. So um, there's a lot of ways to earn back that investment. And that's truly my that's life's incredible. work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have had women, like I said, that um, there's no shortage of businesses that are looking for social media help. So if you, you know, we love the, the expression, say yes before you're ready. And even though it can be a little bit scary, you're not going at it alone. And you say, okay, well, there's a prospect that might have a small budget, but hey, it'll get me started. And I'm not even done with my full training, but I've got the support of, of the Hey There team and my fellow insiders um, to feel confident because you know we're not sending unskilled people out into the world. And the last thing I would say is that they, they do come to the program with a working knowledge of social media. In other words, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, they're not me. They're not me being like, how do I access TikTok? Oh, Barb, you're not even giving yourself enough credit. The fact that you know what TikTok is, the fact that you've created reels, having a working knowledge of social media to me is defined as you have a profile on a number of networks. You don't need to know every single bell and whistle. It's all learnable. Um, But what our program is not is a social media 101. In other words, if you, you know, have never used Pinterest or not really a fan of starting a Facebook page, it can be a tougher sell. So if you have a working knowledge of social, it's a great place to start. Perfect. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. I love learning about other businesses and potential opportunities for our listeners. So this is perfect. Thank you, Barb. I really appreciate your time. And for all of our lovely listeners, you can find out more on our Instagram, the one social we are really um, conscious of, the Future Rich Podcast on Instagram. And we will link uh, Emily's information um, on our social posts.